Hey everybody, Lance Armstrong here, and uh, I'm I'm excited to announce. I, I you know a lot of people have podcasts these days. Uh, I felt like uh, felt like jumping in the game. I come across uh, a lot of interesting people in my life uh, that I find interesting, at least. And uh, so I figured I'd start this little podcast called the Forward Podcast. And uh, we'll you know we'll sit down for anywhere from 45 minutes to a couple hours and just wrap out with uh, with cool folks. So. Uh, I hope you guys find it interesting. If you have any questions or comments or suggestions, send us an email to the forward podcast at we do sport.com and we do is W E D U. Thanks y'all and uh hope you enjoy. Hey folks, this is Lance Armstrong, and welcome to the Forward Podcast. Uh, for our very first podcast, I asked a friend to come on, a gentleman by the name of Tim Lee, the founder and the CEO of Alamo Drafthouse, somebody that I think is uh, arguably redefining um, people's experiences in going to a movie theater. So not only are you seeing the greatest movies, but you're having a great time, you're being treated great, having good food, having a cold beer. Um, Tim, uh, Tim came through Colorado recently. Riding the uh, ride the Rockies. This is the second year that he and I have done it together. Uh, he's a fellow Austinite. He's an all-around good dude, and uh, I hope you find our uh, our conversation interesting. Thanks for listening in. Hey, everybody! Uh, welcome to the Forward with Lance Armstrong podcast. Um, I'm here today with my friend Tim League fellow Austinite, who's the founder and CEO of Alamo Drafthouse, uh, based in Austin. And uh, we uh, started a new tradition, I guess, last year. So we, uh, Tim, oddly enough, I thought he had done this. I thought he had done the ride the Rockies maybe 20 times. And so I asked him today how many times he'd done it. He, he counted and said, this is his second year. So yeah. uh, we rode together <laughs> last year and we rode together this year. Um, so Tim, thanks for being here. No problem. It's my pleasure. I got, um, I got, it was over beers with somebody at the Odell Brewery, <clears throat> probably too many beers, where somebody kind of poked me and said, Come on, do it. You can do it. I see. And so it was, it was on, it's really sort of quasi dare the first time around, but I had a great time last year. And uh, it's good, good to have something on the horizon that yeah. gets you in shape. Yeah. Shout out to them. We started with them today. I, I, uh, and we dropped them pretty good. Yeah, we did. Yeah, as soon the, as we started climbing. Yeah, all these guys that live at altitude and hear us, us lowlanders, I mean, we, we rode away. To be fair, I think they're more professional beer drinkers than they are professional cyclists, okay, well, but, you know. Then, then they win. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think we, I'd be remiss if I didn't, when, when I got up, we were meeting at 8, so I left the house at 7, and I got up at 6 uh, to drink coffee and read the news, and I opened the internet, opened the, my computer, and, and was reading about this, this incident in Orlando. And at the time, so leaving the house at 7... The headline was 20 people killed. Mm -hmm. We started at 8. Um, we finished at 11. I get back to the house, and it's then 50 people killed. Right. <clears throat> I mean, what, 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 what can we make of that? I mean, it, it's, it's so impossible to wrap your head around. I, so I, the only thing I know about is I got a uh, New York Times news alert while I was on the bike. Yep. And so I looked at it, and all I saw was the headline. And so you're you're potentially talking to the most ignorant person on the planet right now about right. the the details of the incident. But I mean, it's a, it's a shocker of a headline to right. just digest. But then I had a hill to climb, so I just kind of put my phone back in, and I, I haven't really even processed it. So you didn't know before we started? No. Mm -mm. Well, what were you doing all morning? <laughs> I didn't know didn't wake up early. What, stretching or was meditating? <laughs> I, or had an, I had an egg McMuffin, which I know is like the worst thing in the world to yeah, eat before I you love, go on a ride. I love McDonald's breakfast. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I just I got up, took care of my morning ritual, which didn't include the internet. Right. Um, yeah. So that uh, that moment in the middle of the ride. Yeah, we don't we don't about. need to get into the morning ritual. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. No. I we I think we all understand. <laughs> There's some S's involves. Um, <laughs> wow. Um, no, but it's just, uh, you, you know, and, and I, so I came home and of course every, uh, uh, station was covering this, uh, constantly. Um, and then, and then the president spoke and then when he came, uh, you know, spoke about uh, this tragedy, then, um, when he was finished, 
the, the newscaster said that this is the 15th time in his presidency that he's had to come out and address the nation about uh, a, a mass murder with guns. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know you're super involved with, or not super involved, but super passionate about politics and specifically Bernie Sanders. And I mean, what's the, 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 the I mean, we're not getting anywhere here. Right. I mean, what's, what's the solution? I mean, not not that you have the, you know. Obviously, I think there has to be some stronger regulations. Um, um, I think I don't know anything about this particular incident, so I would say that um, you know, in at least some of them in, in the past, um, there have been issues with uh, mental health, um, and we don't have a great national mental health policy. Right. I think it was largely dismantled during the Reagan administration, yep. and it was never rebuilt. Um, but I'm certainly in favor of uh, pretty serious regulations on on uh, guns, in particular right. automatic weapons. Right. It's a, it's a hard case to make when you're trying to protect the rights of full auto AK-47s or whatever the case may be. Right. We can we can still enjoy our hunting, and we can still be proud gun owners if we want to be. But uh, I think the the number and the power can be diminished for right. the general public. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm all for most of these amendments, you know, but they were created obviously so long ago that, you know, when you have the second amendment, it was not, they weren't talking about assault rifles and AKs and, and these things where people can. Well, that's where it's, there's tricky. And again, I'm no expert, but I, I certainly take the second amendment to be the right to bear arms in case uh, your government uh, becomes too powerful and you have to fight the government. So there's an, there is an arguable case for it. Um, uh, but I think just in the, the nature of what has happened in the last the acceleration in the last ten right. years, it's right. I'm I'm ready for a different tactic or yeah. a different interpretation of that amendment. Yeah, I think I think we have to. I remember <laughs> I remember uh, it was a long time ago, but and I vaguely remember this. But there was a there was a mass shooting in Australia at the McDonald's, mm-hmm. and I think there were twenty plus killed. And I mean, it was literally the next, and not, not to not to to say that anyone, we want to be Australians or whatever, but it was literally the next day. They, the, whoever the the prime minister or the parliament said, that's it. No more. Um, and we just seemed to, to, to anyways, I mean, we're, we could talk about this forever, but it, <laughs> it was an awful tragedy. I mean, the guy, you know, what, when I came home, um, you know, he, he had actually, the guy actually called 911, I guess in the middle of this and, and, and pledged some sort of allegiance to ISIS, um, which, you know, of course the media runs with, uh, politicians will run with, mm-hmm. Um, but who knows? I mean, meanwhile, his father says he's not religious. His ex-wife, who who also came out and said he beat her repeatedly, says he's not religious. But these people get turned on, you know, seemingly overnight. Right. But, um, and then, you know, then you get to, uh, there was, I saw, I was just looking through Twitter and, and there were reports of the police that are actually in an active crime scene. So with these victims laying around and just all they hear are their cell phones ringing. So, I mean, think about that, walking through there and, and these loved ones and friends and family members just calling, 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 texting. That's the only noise in that club. Wow. You've uh, started off with a really heavy podcast, Lance. I know. Well, it's, it's, <laughs> I, I get I mean, yeah, I mean, I, uh, when you li- – I mean, I, I, I guess we should have talked about it today on the ride because it was it, – it, I watched it this morning. Mm-hmm. And then coming back to it, it was just like – and then on the heels, I mean, I'm I'm sort of living with – um, this week for me has just been extra crazy because you had this tragedy last Tuesday in Kalamazoo with these nine cyclists who were hit, five of uh, whom lost their lives to a man who just drove over the back of them, like literally just over the top of them. So you see things like that, and it just makes me wonder what what the hell is going on. Makes you want to go to the movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's, uh, it's also, I mean, you mentioned my... Um, love affair with Bernie Sanders. It's been a, a really interesting election cycle. Just, um, I, I think uh, on on both sides, besides me on the kind of progressive side, but Donald Trump on the other side, just right. to see people who are so fed up with the system, right. whatever that system may be. Yep. But what's frightening is the amount of anger that's coming out in this election. And I, we're nowhere near done with it. It's, right. a, it's, it's seemingly dark days right now. Yeah, but I agree. I, I think people are. Yeah, I think people are sick of uh, sick of the system, sick of career politicians. 
I mean, clearly. I mean, if if look, I mean, the fact that that Trump has made the run that he's made, and and all along the way, people have said, okay, it's it's this is the end of it. He's made too many. You know, that last quote was that was it, or that last appearance that you know, or it, and he the guy just keeps rolling. No, his his primary power is that he's not afraid to tell it like it is, quote right. unquote, um, which makes him a little bit. Um, unable to be dethroned unfortunately yeah all right well let's not you're right that was kind of a, that was you know what this whole podcast thing is new to me so i shouldn't i shouldn't let's hope on uh number two there's not some you know some crazy news that, that that's heavy on my mind so well we can we can and i didn't even realize this because but until you told me today but let's we'll just go all the way to the other end i want to let's talk about this beekeeping that you're, that you're, that you're now into i mean that's that's uplifting um yeah, my uh, I'm I'm new to beekeeping, yeah. so uh, I'm not an expert, but I've been I've kind of dialed into it in a really serious way. And that's what I think that's what people do on with beekeeping. Yeah, once you once you start, and uh, I I actually got it from my wife as a gift for Christmas. Um, she supported this Kickstarter of a new type of hive, which is apparently drawing a lot of first timers into the the bee husbandry hobby, and um, so. You can. I got my box back then, but then you don't actually start until springtime when there's something for the bees to actually, you know, make honey with. Right. So I've been at it now about five weeks. I went up um, to a um, a professional honey farm uh, up <laughs> north of town and bought basically what equates to a box of bees, um, like three thousand bees in a box uh, with a queen, and they're already already starting to make honeycomb and everything. And I didn't know what to do because I had to take this box in my car and just had this nightmare that i did something wrong and like i would leave a hole open and the the entire car would be full of bees so right. i put on the full white, white suit. beekeeping suit oh, wow. and gloves Driving. and everything and just drove home from round rock with the head thing the whole yeah i didn't the, need to you apparently didn't have but the net on drive, that would have <laughs> yeah i mean that's that would really be keeping austin weird so i found a mentor um and this is a guy who in town he's the guy that anybody calls if there's a bee infestation like right. if you got a a mobile home or like a, uh, a cabin or something that bees or sometimes or a tree. Yeah. yeah. Um, bees sometimes just collect and um, he's the guy that comes and takes care of it, cuts yeah. them out or, or takes them somewhere else. We have, we had a tree right across from our house that, that just the, the whole trunk of it was infested with bees. And one of the city workers was out mowing that, that, you know, that part of the street and just got lit up by these bees. I mean, that does that, it's, um, I guess if you piss them off enough. Well, there's something that happens in the cycle of uh, it's how they reproduce. Um, so at a certain point, if the home that they have is filled up, um, half of all the worker bees and the queen bee will swarm. That's what it's called. And they'll just go somewhere else and they'll find a tree. And there'll be thousands, sometimes tens of thousands of bees just clustered. Um, and then they have to call in somebody like my buddy Brandon, who's mentoring me, right. and take care of them. But what, what happens is... Um, the old beehive has more capacity now, so the worker bees basically make a new queen. Uh, there's only one queen for the hive, and she does all the egg laying. All the drones are there just, just to have sex with the queen. Um, and then so the, <laughs> the old queen just goes and finds a new home, and then they it basically they just build the colony back up in two separate spots. And you never see the queen? I, I So I inspect the bees every week. And what I do, since I'm not very good at it yet, is I... I I put all the individual frames from inside the hive. I pull them out and I take pictures of each side, yep. and then I kind of look in and see, you know, where are the eggs? Where's the queen? So I've I've seen my queen, but in photograph, I haven't seen her in a natural state yet. Right. And so, then what are you gonna? Would you just use the honey, or what? What do you do with? Bee? I mean, I'm like, supposed to. I, mean, I love honey, but I'll bring you over some honey. Uh, I'm supposed to make thirty pounds of honey this first year, and then you know, if I decide to, you know, split the hive and get more, then I'll make more honey. I'm not really. I mean, I'm just doing it because it's fun. It's like right. a, it's also the best pet in the world in a way because I can go to Colorado and I don't have to leave any food out for the bees. They right. just like self-sustaining colony. And you and you reckon because for those of you listening, uh, if anybody's listening, <laughs> which is a damn good question uh, to the one person that's listening. Um, Tim lives. I mean, we live elevation-wise, kind of the same. You live on the other side of Shoal Creek, so you're mm -hmm. sort of which Shoal Creek runs through the middle of a great park in Austin called Peace Park. Um, so you live right on the other side, and you see these, you reckon these things fly over our way or down to Peace Park to get 
get yeah, we, some grub. We have a we have a lot of flowers in our yard, and my wife was thinking it'd be awesome that the honey that we make is from our own yard. But I'm just sometimes in the evenings I'll just crack open a beer and just sit in a lawn chair and just look at the hive and see what's happening. I I can see they're all heading basically over towards your house. They go to Peace Park and beyond. I'm not sure, but that's where they're getting their nectar and uh, pollen. Huh. And if you had a bee in the house, you wouldn't step on it. You'd just get him out of the house. No, I'd probably step on it. Yeah, because your kids. I mean, we we we. I mean, we have Tim and I both have twin girls. Which your girls are six, uh, almost five, almost five. So, and mine are fourteen. So I'm just, you know, with it. But I can imagine a five. I have. I also have a five year old girl. You know, a bee comes in the house, and the, you know they think that that you know that they're being attacked. So you gotta, you, take you know, care. they like to hang out and watch the bees from a safe distance. Right. So, but normally, you know, they're not they're not out to attack you. I mean, they die when they sting you. They're, it's only a purely defensive move. So right. they've gotten in the house by mistake. Yeah. But, um, and so just on, yeah, <clears throat> and just I mean, on the kid uh, twin girl thing. I mean, just good luck. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the salad years right now, the good times. Mine or you have a strong <clears throat> wife, so you'll be. I mean, these fourteen year old girls are, dude. It's. It's tough to watch. I, I I do have sort of waking and actual nightmares about the the future, about the teenage yeah. years. You know, I was a pretty good kid, and I still gave my. I mean, my parents don't know half the stuff that I did when not. I was in high school. Oh, well, back I, then you could hide it pretty good. Yeah, yeah. These so, days, these kids are you know they're taking pictures of it and posting it. To I don't know. Stuff. I hope for the best. So I'm <clears throat> we're here in Aspen, and I uh, I came down from the house to do this, and so I'm sitting there just to sort of think about our conversation and. I look out the front window and a car pulls up and these two looks like 16 year old kids get out of the car. My girls are 14. These two 16 year old boys get out of the car. <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, ride the Rockies is here. Somebody's coming over to the house. I don't know what, what's going on. And I yelled down. I said, Grace, there's, there's, there's two boys. Oh, she says, Oh, those, those boys are coming over here to hang out with us. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, it's, like that's the first time dudes have shown up at the house. That's what you do. What's the protocol? Well, there's about there were about there's about six of their friends over there. So there's mm-hmm. they're two, these two lucky kids, these lucky boys. There's like six or eight girls over there. They were watching Zootopia um, mm-hmm. on the TV on Apple TV, and these these guys showed up. But I didn't. I mean, I'm not worried about that yet. I guess. Well, at least it's the house, it's, you know. That's like the, that's the. They're it's always the, at the house, which I like, <laughs> and and it's not ten o'clock at night. That would that would be different. But anyways, I had some advice uh, from a guy, uh, Jonathan Kuhn, who's like a investor, um, uh, entrepreneur in Austin, and he said, make sure you build your house to be the most awesome house for your teenager, yep. so that. Um, if they do get in that trouble, then they at least get in trouble at your house. You make it, make it the home base. <laughs> the only thing I'll say to that is, is, and I love that. Like here at our place here in Aspen, I mean, the, the, it is like kid central, yeah. which means you have to buy like ten times the amount of groceries, which means you have to clean up ten times the amount of shit, which means all these <laughs> things. But they're there. But you know, the other freaking thing is, they get older, they start doing. You know what I guess we all did as, as teenagers, right? So you start drinking, you start experimenting, whatever. And then I just worry that when if that's going on at your house and some kid were to leave, I mean, the liability that part just really freaks me out. Yeah. I mean, I get, I get it. You want them there, but then you, how are you going to police all these these kids? I mean, I don't have that answer. Nor do I. I'm afraid, but I got a little more time. You're you're in the the heat of battle right now. Oh, I know. 16-year-old boy, too. All right, let's talk about Alamo, because um, um, I, th- I think me, like so many others, are just a huge fan. I don't even remember the first time I went uh, to the Alamo Draft House, but it worked perfect for me because I'm so my life is so structured. I love, I love going to the movies, but ne- inevitably, the movies you would always, that I would find that I would go to would be like 7 p.m., Mm-hmm. And so you typically go to an AMC or a Regal or whatever, and your choices were popcorn and and you know M and M's and Sprite, whatever. And now all of a sudden you have this concept where you can go at seven and have dinner and have a beer or have wine and have food, and it worked. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I think I think it was brilliant, man. And 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 not to mention that, but you had, you know, I don't know, you know better than me, but dozens of imitators that 
I've tried and failed. Or tried and succeeded. You know, it's a, it's a strangely, uh, it's a growing sector of the cinema industry. Right. Um, we've been at it a long time. We opened up the first one back in 1997. So uh, hard to believe that I've been in business at this for 20 years now. Um, um, yeah, it's... Um, it's Tell the, me about <laughs> the first, because you opened Alamo in 97, but yeah. first you started in Bakersfield, which... Yeah. I think I've been through Bakersfield, but I'm not real sure. You know, I could show you a, I could show you an awesome weekend in Bakersfield. There's like there's like a one really great bar. There's okay. like one really great restaurant. I can get you know into a reasonable amount of fun trouble, uh, but then I'd have to repeat it if you ever came back. But um, you but you had a theater there. Yeah, so I was um, right out of school. I studied engineering in college, and um, with really uh, not much forethought. I don't even I At can't Rice. even tell you why you I did Rice it. University. Yeah, I just did it. I but where'd you grow up? You didn't grow up in Texas. I grew up. Um, well, I grew up in Texas until I was twelve, and then I moved to Ohio, a little tiny coal mining town in Ohio, yeah, and graduated cool. high school. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it's pros and cons. <laughs> and then you came back. <laughs> and then I came back for school. Um, uh, so I'm mostly a Texan at this point. It rounds to a Texan, um, but I got shipped out to Bakersfield, California, right after college to take a job with Shell Oil. Hmm. And I got there uh, my first day on the job, and um, you know, I knew immediately there was like a couple of little things that happened that day where I was like, nope. This is not it. I'm gonna. Not I'm, 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 I'm not. I'm not gonna retire from this job. Um, uh, one of them, uh, and I, I know you have a, an appreciation for for fine art. Um, I, I also I got a I got an art degree in, at Rice. They encourage you to get two degrees, and so I got an art degree and an engineering degree. And I found myself more drawn to the art side the whole time. Um, but when I arrived. And I finished my HR paperwork and 401k and all that. And I said, okay, you need to go down to the basement and pick up your art. And so I was like, I have no idea what that even means. It's a really strange statement. So I went down and you got to, you had three walls and one window in your office. And so you got to choose from their collection of oil paintings of like oil derricks or oil fields or basically a landscape. They had them kind of categorized into colors and, but the, and, and what they were. And so then when you go into anybody's office, it's like a derrick and there's like a field. And it's like, can I swear in this? You can say whatever the fuck, fuck you want to Fuck that. Say. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> can you swear? In that? I, should, I should have made that clear in the very beginning. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So I knew, I knew, I, that's a long-winded story. But um, so the first, I worked there for two years and I, I accumulated enough money and I knew I was going to do something else. And then. I'd always loved movies, uh, uh, but I hadn't hadn't thought about it as a career because right. I didn't want to make movies. Uh, but on my way to work, there was an abandoned movie theater, and uh, one day there was a for lease sign on it. And then a week later, one screen theater, one screen, nineteen forties giant like thousand seat theater uh, on the wrong side of town. Right. Like, because if if I had any business acumen at all at that point, I would have understood. Okay, I've, this is what you want to do. Why don't you find a, a viable location? Right. Instead, I just plowed ahead and signed a lease. And in, and in, this is in the early 90s? Yeah, I think it was 94. Yeah. Ran it for two years, so 93, 94. And Bakersfield had the typical, your traditional movie theaters. So yeah, there was a gonna... mall theater. Right. Um, I think there were two theaters that kind of bookended the town, one south, one north, both at the mall. <clears throat> okay, so it was open. also the, the methamphetamine production capital of um, the states at the time before Mexico kind of took over that trade. So it was really... Uh, Angry, violent town. You could also get really cheap contractors to do like carpet installation late at night. Whoa. <laughs> okay, so that doesn't get, and there was something happened. Somebody drove a car into the theater. And... Yeah, so we ran it for two years. It was kind of a mess. Um, you you know, brought no, in a pig at one point yeah. during uh, during uh, Charlotte's Web. Yeah, we, we sowed the seeds for a lot of the crazy stuff we would end up doing at the theater later on. That's right. And then we also it, became you're totally irreverent. That's what <laughs> that's 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 what I think has helped you. We the only money we really made was uh, we also showed we were like the punk venue in Austin. So um, Austin or Bakersfield? Sorry, Bakersfield. Sorry, at yeah. this first theater. So since it's such a big space, we built a stage. Um, and that's the money really that we were able to accumulate and start the draft house in Austin. But towards the end of the run, well, it kind of defined the end of the run. We, um, brought in, it wasn't punk, but it was uh, Montel Jordan. If you remember, um, one hit, uh, uh, I think it's like 
that's the way we do it. Okay. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, so peak of his early fame, his only fame, uh, terrible concert. But afterwards, there was a, a skirmish, and uh, somebody was driving away and got shot and killed, and he wrecked his car into the box office. And so that's like the front page of Montel Jordan did. No, Montel Jordan didn't die. Okay, the other, the other, <laughs> a fan of Montel Jordan, maybe who was dissatisfied with the concert at the Tejon Theater, but. We, we it was already tough because it was a there was crime in the part of town where yeah. we were and having a death at the concert and a drive by shooting just like no way we were trying to show foreign language art films right so and so that that would have been the most <clears throat> headwind or adversity or struggle that you I mean in your I mean in the, in the life of being a cinema owner that was the toughest point. Yeah, I think so. I think so. But it was. I mean, you've had other other issues, but it was. But it was a galvanizing point. I mean, I remember. I remember that night really well. Um, and there's part of me that's a little bit embarrassed about it because mm-hmm. I was thinking about me. I, I wasn't thinking about the dead man right. on my porch, basically. Right. Yeah, you and, catch yourself. Uh, so as I basically said, you know, we've been talking about it. Screw it. We're leaving. We're we're starting up. So we're. we're Abandoning this chapter and we're moving somewhere else. Right. With this, this location's done. And you just load up and <clears throat> head to Austin. Yeah, a big old truck took two hundred seats, a projector, a screen, a um, couple light fixtures, and that's about it. <laughs> but set out for Austin. You weren't going. Mostly, yeah. I um, we we don't tell me you were going back to Houston. No, no, no. Houston was never in the cards. <laughs> no. Like we looked, we looked at a couple cities. Like I grew up near Pittsburgh, and those like twelve Pittsburgh. to eighteen years. And I, I love it. I thought it's a really cool town. So we looked at totally like, underrated four or five uh, towns uh, that we had some relationship with. Right. And um, but Austin at the time like had had everything going for it. It was cheap. Uh, believe it or not, yep. um, you know there wasn't anything like it. it. There needed to be more cinemas. There was a cool film school. Yep. Uh, Austin Film Society was really great. Yep. So all the all roads pointed to Austin. Yeah, very creative town. Had I mean, rich tradition in yep. all the arts. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I want and I want at some point I want to talk about Austin because we I moved there in 1989, so you were you know a handful of years behind me. But so I want to get back to that and just talk about the evolution of that town and. Mm-hmm you know, what we think and what, I mean, obviously, I mean, there are people that got there in 69, you know, they can speak to it much better than right. us, but um, I feel like it's, it's, uh, it's been a unique and interesting development mm-hmm. uh, over the years, but all right. So you get there first theater. Was it on, was it on Anderson Lane or was it? No, was uh, it was downtown. It's fourth in Colorado, right in the center of kind of the warehouse district. Oh, wow. What used to be the warehouse district. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we, we left, we had a 10 year lease and, that was really not much around when we signed the lease, and then ten years later, we didn't re up because the it, it went to market rate for our lease, right. and uh, market rate was so expensive that it was actually cheaper and easier for me to move over to Sixth Street and yeah. relocate that theater. And now, how many in Austin? <clears throat> we have five theaters in Austin. Five in Austin, and then twenty four all over the country. Twenty four more. Twenty four total. Twenty four total. total. Yeah. On 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 your way to. What am I on the way to? I don't know. Well, I mean, fifty? Do you want? <laughs> yeah, 100? like right. The the benchmark right now is fifty, and by two thousand eighteen, fifty by twenty eighteen. And I and I was just curious too because I was thinking about the business model, right? And so it, when you because I always read the newspaper and it talks about every week they <clears> list <throat> the top alcohol sales in Austin, mm-hmm. and I'm always shocked at you know Top Golf is number one, and obviously there's always some strip club that's in the top three, and you get these I mean tremendous volume and revenue from alcohol. For you, what is the breakdown between somebody buying a ticket or ticket sales, I guess you call it, and food and beverage, like in your total uh, revenue picture? Um, Ticket sale revenue constitutes about um, a third of it. Wow. Yeah. So two thirds is food and beverage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's where, that's, that's the big difference between us and like a regular movie theater. Regular movie theater, they're, I mean, they're all publicly traded companies. That data is out there. So they have a $4 per head average per capita. Right. And so we're, we're much higher than that, you know, uh, for that's their food and beverage per capita. Does anybody go to the Alamo draft house and just watch a movie? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, not that many, I was but gonna say. there's some, you know, there's some regulars, uh, there's some, they you say, know, hey, I'll, I'll take, I'll take that, a water. Sure. Plenty, plenty of that. Um, but normally, like if you're coming at seven, most people order some food. If you're coming at 10, most people are drinking a beer or having a glass of wine, but yeah, you don't have to. 
Did I ever tell you about that time we brought in a bottle of wine? No. That was not a good thing. Oh, no? <laughs> no. No. That, that, they, I mean, I got a really stern talking to. It was. That's when you need to call me no, first. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm not that guy. It's like, oh, well, let me call Tim. I mean, I'm not going to fucking say that. I mean, but it, I don't know. I don't know how we, yeah, but uh, Anna and I bring it up and, and the lady, the, you know, the waitress or whatever, and uh, she was like, I don't ever want to see that again. Well, I think so. Some restaurants can do a corkage fee, mm-hmm. right? Where you just pay. It's like, oh, pay us 10 bucks, you can bring your wine. Right. But you can't do that with a full alcohol license. Yeah. So once you move up to serving spirits, at least in Texas, then they don't allow people to bring in their own wine. Right. So that's probably why the manager was like just doing her job. But, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we got it. We got the beat down. All right. She was, she was, she was good. <laughs> and I didn't, I wasn't about to drop your name. Yeah, I think there's been, I mean, to me, dude, there's been a couple things that just make you, and I, I mean, I'm I'm assuming you you steer a lot of this, these decisions, but there's been a couple things where people, it, it's created your brand, mm-hmm. it's created this image of, um, uh, of this almost I don't want to say outlaw, but this 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 outlaw <laughs> theater chain that that's completely irreverent, and um, I mean, I think one was the you know, putting out the voicemail from the girl mm-hmm. um, who got asked to leave because she was, you guys have a strong no texting policy. Right. I mean, what if you're like a heart surgeon or something or a brain surgeon and you're, you know, you got to look at your phone. There's some exceptions. Well, there's a, no, there, well, there's not really any exceptions. Okay. So, you know, what's, <laughs> what you do if you're a heart surgeon and you're on call, then if you get a, you know, a vibrating text in your pocket then you should go into the hallway and yeah. take it just in case it's a call yeah so you know, but yeah there's ways around it yeah you just got to be it Let's, really boils down to just being being polite to other people right um inside the theater being aware that there are other people that you would be disturbing by yeah. doing that so yeah i mean um so i think i think it was the voicemail which i want to play mm-hmm. and then the decision to show the interview right which was you know which not that i mean the, the voice when was the voicemail Put out that was years ago. Uh, it's maybe it's got to be five years ago at this right. point. So for the two people, I think we now have two people listening. So for the two people <laughs> that are listening, uh, I'm going to play this voicemail. But just know, okay, there's two of you, and according to this YouTube page here, 4.39 million people have have watched or listened to uh, this voicemail. And so this is, I, I guess I'll just set it up a little bit. This is girl was texting in the, in the in the theater, you guys asked her to leave. She gets in the car and calls just the main line mm-hmm. and leaves uh, this voicemail. Hey. Yeah, I was wondering if you guys actually enjoy treating your customers like pieces of shit. Because that's all I felt when I went to the Alamo Drop House. Okay. You know what? I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to text in your little crappy-ass beer. It was too fucking dark in that place for me to find my seat, all right? I was using my phone as a flashlight to get to my fucking seat. So excuse me for using my phone in USA, United States of America, where you are free to text in a theater. I was not aware that I could text in your theater, all right? I texted in all the other theaters in Austin, and no one ever gave a fuck about what I was doing my fucking phone, all right? And it was on silent. It wasn't on loud. It wasn't bothering anybody. You guys, obviously, were being assholes to me, and I'm sure that's what you do, you know, to rip people off. You take my money, and then you throw me out, you know? I will never be... Coming back to your Alamo draft house or whatever, I'd rather go to a regular theater where people are actually polite. And, you know, I'm going to tell everyone about how shitty you are. And I'm pretty sure you guys would be an asshole on purpose. So thanks for making me feel like a customer. Thanks for taking my money, asshole. I mean, so she's all worked up. (laughs) She was seriously worked up. Um, And... Uh, does she know that four million people have listened to it on YouTube? Has I, she? Have I you don't from, think she was initially because we were wondering if she was going to come you play forward. It, you play it before you play a, show a movie. A lot of times, yeah, yeah we got I a mean, lot of these I, in rotation, of, but this yeah. is the heavy hitter. Um, so we were halfway expecting her to materialize when it, it first gained traction because it, it it was all over the place. It was 
It was on The View. It was on Anderson Cooper. You know, we're getting interviews all over the place to talk about it. And um, but then, for whatever reason, about seven months ago, it it perked back up on Reddit as if it had never existed. So somebody just reposted it, and there's a huge new conversation about it. And during that, um, the woman that left the voice message uh, chimed in on a response. Uh, she said it was her. And so I checked out her YouTube profile because she's done some YouTube videos, and I, that voice is unrecognized. It, it is completely recognizable. Undeniable. It is def- undeniable. It's definitely her. Um, uh, but then, yeah, I was going to go have coffee with her just to chat about it. Um, but, and, and thank but, her. Yeah, but she's, she may or may not have a, an assault criminal record, so I wasn't really ready Whoa. to go do that. So um, I was told maybe not a good idea. So we're not totally. And no more. I mean, I would. You would think you know these. You know, people are. I mean, they lawyer up, and and, yeah. and so you know. Next thing you know, you got a call from a local, you know, ambulance chaser. Well, the funny thing is, it's very clear cut in the law that if somebody leaves a voicemail on your answering machine. That is your property. You don't have the right to sell it. Uh, you don't have the right to monetize it, but you can use it for any of your business purposes. Right. So, which you did, which I did, yeah. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. That was just. I mean, I think when even to. I mean, I was because I was talking to a buddy of mine the other day and telling him that we were going to do this podcast, mm-hmm. and he lives here. Yeah. So he does. He, he didn't. He doesn't know what Alamo Draft House is, and I was like, "You've never heard the voicemail," and so he's like, "What are you talking about?" So I sent it to him yesterday, and he's just, he writes he writes me back. He's like, "That's so fucking epic." <laughs> and that's just. And then the interview. I mean, here you have a movie that, which I must confess, I never saw. Um, that you know, clearly people were up in arms about, mm-hmm. and 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 obviously the threats were you know legit and real. And and you up and say we're going to show the movie. Yeah. I mean, and that was it. nobody else showed it after you guys. Well, it was a it was a funny situation. So um, the weeks leading up I mean, to here Christmas, you go. I'm sorry, how, to make a movie, what would it cost Sony to make that movie? That was not a small movie. Right. I would say probably stars. probably a budget of fifty million. So they know, were advertising just, budget of another fifty million. So flush a hundred. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it started it started trickling. So there was a, a threat that any movie theater um, that showed the movie would be subject to 911 style terrorist attacks um, and so from we, the north koreans but we didn't do you, uh, yeah. i don't think so i think it was i think i mean i've always had this personal belief that this is not the north koreans that this is you know this is a teenager or this is somebody you know in kind of the dark web circles who just finds this fun to destroy sony and cause them a lot of heartache Right. I don't think it was. Hence the hack and, and the whole. I've read a bunch of articles about it, and I think the people that I believe don't believe that it was um, the North Koreans. Huh. Um, that said, it's a real threat. But um, So you guys say you're going to show it. Well, we watch everybody else say no. So Regal, AMC, Cinemark, Cineplex, which constitutes 95% of the screens in North America, within 24 hours, they all say, pulling it, pulling it, pulling it, pulling it, um, which – Pissed me off, right? Because that's not how you respond to the threat. Was this before, or after Aurora? Was it after? It was after. So I yeah. think people, and not that long after. Sure, it was still fresh enough that people, you know, combining those two things. So you mm-hmm. have what happened in Aurora, and then you know these threats. People are going, okay, they're tapping out. But you guys, well, then Sony says uh, we're going to take the movie out of release because no, there's no theater um, that's going to play it. Okay. And so both of these things piss me off. So the fact that uh, all of the exhibitors in America just take that path, whereas um, I don't think it's the right way to stand up to those sort of threats. And then um, for Sony to say there's no theaters that will play it made myself and and a lot of other independent theaters rally forth and say – no, actually, you're mistaken. There are lots of theaters that now think it's even more important to play it. Um, So – this was two days before Christmas when it was supposed to come out, and uh, we put together a petition, and we got 400 independent theaters to say, we will play it. Let us play it. And uh, uh, Evan Goldberg um, um, uh, and Seth Rogen got the petition. They took it to Sony and kind of demanded that, that they honor it. Mm-hmm. So within 24 hours, we had to do all this crazy booking to get it done. It ended up about 300 theaters played it on Christmas Day. 
and everybody that was coming out, like there's people that don't want to see uh, a a dopey Seth Rogen comedy, right. like a you know what equates to a stoner boner comedy, right? <laughs> um, but they're coming out because they feel it's sort of a patriotic yeah. duty to do it. Yeah. Um, so any threats? I mean, and when when you announced you were gonna you were gonna show it, I mean, all the stuff that was allegedly happening in other places. I mean, we didn't get any threats, but. I mean, we knew I mean, clearly it's, a, it's a calculated risk, right. too. We knew we were putting ourselves into a much smaller microscope at that point right. with uh, with several others by being willing to speak about it. Extra so, security? Uh, we did have extra security. Yeah. We did through I think some, that's smart. some work with uh, APD, uh, Austin Police Department, to get us set up. You know, you know, and everybody, everybody, all the, all the Alamo Draft House locations everywhere played it, uh, and they went through the same exercise. And so all these other 400... Other independent theaters also played it. Same yeah. Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. Was it? A, was it a good movie? I like it. I like it, but I like that sort of thing. Yeah, I like it. My, my spectrum for movies is super wide. Like, um, and Seth Rogen and were these guys, these stars. They must have been. I would think they would have been super appreciative of that. They, you know, with like twelve hours to go, they recorded a nice personal message to the independent theaters of America, and we got it turned into a. The file is called a DCP. It's what you play on screen in cinemas. And all the theaters were able to play that beforehand. So it was cool. They wrote a nice letter to all the theater owners. They definitely huh. appreciated it. They didn't make the movie to be just buried. They spent two years of their life, you know, right. working on this thing. And it was there. I mean, it was there. They wrote it or they, they yeah, wrote super- it. Um, I don't know if they directed it, but, uh, you know, starred in it for sure. What's your favorite <laughs> movie of all time? Boy, oh boy, oh boy. I never saw that one. <laughs> that's my boy Adam boy. Sandler no um, it's a t- it's a question so three. I, should, I don't know I mean uh, yeah uh, so um, I'm not a huge movie buff I mean chances are you're gonna say it and I'm gonna be be like oh fuck what's that you know I think about um, I'll, I'll sort of ca- I'll sort of answer it um, I sort of put them into categories I should have done know. that for a long time just sort of answered yeah <laughs> you know that, what was wrong with that you know Lance, did you, you know, I'm just going to sort of answer this. I'll choose Was this that question cool to y'all? answer. <laughs> thousand press corps here. I mean, I'll just give you a sort of answer. Okay, sorry. Give yeah. you a sort of answer. So see yeah. if this is an elegant enough dodge from the original yeah. question. So uh, a modern era movie that I think is one of the most rewatchable movies that I'll always uh, sit down and watch if it comes on is The Big Lebowski. Yeah. Um, I think there's a, in the last 10 years, uh, a movie that I think is going to stand as the, as a modern classic is uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's There Will Be Blood. Yeah. Uh, I think um, there's two silent films of all things, believe it or not, that um, well, now you're, now you're stick with me. Way far away from me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I see, coming into this business, I had I had seen a lot of movies, but I, I almost discounted the entire silent era. But then I watched... Uh, City Lights, Charlie Chaplin. I watched The General by Buster Keaton. And those movies are both so incredibly modern and yeah. influential and really funny, genuinely funny, that they stick with me from a historic perspective that what they were doing in the 1920s has driven a lot of the language of what comedy is today still. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. So that's I didn't answer your question, but I gave no, something that's no, like no, no, you plausible. That, that, that's, that's, you gave a top. <laughs> Top handful. That's that's fair enough. You sort of answered it. Apparently, Rick Linklater likes to answer it with a different movie every time, and so he's on record of saying his favorite movie is this Dean Martin movie called Some Came Running with Shirley MacLaine. He's like, yeah, it's a good movie. Sure, it's my favorite movie. Yeah, I um, love Linklater. <laughs> yeah, it's great. He's, he's and he's a great guy. <clears throat> like the dude is just so normal. Like here you have he works in this in this field and in this culture that's just can be kind of they can be dicks you know and he's yeah. just such a normal guy yeah he cares and he's a, yeah lives he's in austin lives fostered, in bastrop yeah fostered this like, great scene so i mean and just every time i talk to him i'm like wow i mean how i mean that's like the most normal person i i'm around do you know about his uh potential brush with pro sports and all i know is that he's a, a major baseball fan he was a major baseball player he was yeah. like a prodigy college player uh, that high hopes for potentially getting into the, uh, the majors, but had one of those knee shredding incidents where he's like, done, right, can't done. play anymore. Well, they and, fixed those knees now. Yeah, well, this was a long time ago. Long time ago. ago. <laughs> right, I got it, I got it. Yeah, so he tapped out and then kind of got in with the filmmaking crew at UT, so yeah. in Austin. 
Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, when you go out, he's, I, I hope his place out in Bastrop survived that fire from a couple of years ago, but he had the full, you know, like Field of Dreams set up. Yeah. <laughs> Which, by the way, just up, I don't know if you ever, Costner has a place like just up the pass. You'll ride, you'll ride when you start <clears throat> the stage tomorrow. So Tim's riding from Aspen over to uh, Copper, I think, tomorrow. So you got to yep. go over Independence Pass, down through Leadville, and then another pass, and then you get there. But as you just start, um, the climb up Independence Pass. If you look down to your right, you'll see a few. You're gonna forget about this, but you'll see a few structures, houses, big lakes, and that that's Costner's. He's got a hundred plus acres right there on the mm. valley floor, and he and he has a baseball field. That's I mean, I don't know much about baseball, but this fucking thing, like you can eat off it. It is, and this is the whole field of dreams thing. That's Super, and, and the property. <clears throat> I'm, I don't know. I mean, I think if, if he were to list that, it would probably be one of the most valuable pieces of property in America. I mean, it's just absolutely stunning. Years ago, um, we had this thing we used to do at the Alamo. We still do it from time to time called uh, Famous Movies, Famous Places. So we'd take a summer vacation. I, it was my job to find a sponsor to basically have a paid summer vacation where we'd go show just that, famous movies, famous locations. So he came out to... Um, a screening of the field of dreams at the field of dreams, wow. which they still maintain. And, uh, it, it ended up being this real strange pilgrimage. There's a lot of people that that's their favorite movie of all time. Right. And it was a pretty magic night for those people. That's what we talked about doing something similar with breaking away. Yeah. And we still need to do that at some point. I, parks, it's, parks, Christian parks, our mutual friend and, and who helps you and has helped me a bunch over the years. I think he, I think he ixnated. <laughs> Uh, I'm blaming Parks. <laughs> yeah, let's go ahead and blame Parks. Let's you know, blame it's him. not like we're recording this on a blamed. podcast that he can no. Potentially well, now there deny. were up to three people listening, <laughs> so maybe uh, to the Christian. Sorry, three people now are blaming you too. But no, so to the to the three listening, we were gonna we were gonna take the mobile theater, which you guys mm -hmm. have, and um, we were gonna we were gonna take it to uh, Bloomington, Indiana, um, where that where they do the Little Five, and we were gonna screen Breaking Away the day before, the days before. Um, during, during, you know, during the week of, of the little 500, which is one of the, like, if you, I don't think you've seen it in person. Have you? Not in person. No, no just when you movie. watch it, in, it's one of the America's coolest sporting events. Like it's just, just the, the energy and these kids and these kids aren't cyclists, you know, but they, but they, they get into it, their fraternity or their, or their organization gets into it. They get trained up and it's on this ghetto cinder track. And I mean, <laughs> it's just like the movie. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. So. That, but that seems a little bit like what we what we talked about. We should okay, and we'll go find the quarry. I found that quarry. I sent you, you a screen somehow on Google Earth. You yep, like did I found some it scouring, and, and we'll go get in it. Although it's in <laughs> April, the the little five, so that water is going to be cold. But, I'll still brave it. Yeah, I mean you kind of got to. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. Here's a question. So we're here in Aspen, um, and and we have, and it's probably an independent. Uh, theater. They may have a couple more in Colorado, um, but are you aware of, the, the, of our local theater, the name of the theater? No, I'm not. Okay, so, and it's been here forever. The name of the theater is ISIS. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, there's a lot of companies that have had to change their name from so, the ISIS. <laughs> okay, right. So they, they, they talked to the owner the other day in the local paper and said, do you plan on, I mean, anytime ISIS does anything yeah. in the world, I mean, I'm sure tomorrow they're going to get the call after today. Yeah, um, th they probably call this guy and say, "Are you going to change the name?" And he and, and he's always said, "No, we're not changing the name." I wouldn't change the name either. Wow. Yeah, it's it's not that it's not that ISIS can only be defined by you know uh, an awful potentially half baked terrorist organization. Yeah. Um, that you know it does mean something else, and it's especially if you're a historic theater that's been there forever and. Damn it, you were here first. So I would never back down on that either. Wow. He's, he's on the right path. See, I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I guess I'm a wimp because I would probably cave to that. I'd probably, I, I'd probably change it. They, they had there was a credit card processing technology, kind of like a, you know, like next generation, like an Apple Pay type of thing that was rolling out about five years ago, and they used Austin as a test case. And right in the middle of the test case, the first kind of waves of ISIS started hitting and that was the name of their platform was right. ISIS. And they did change that they immediately. Change yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't think, and he would know better than, than me certainly, or anybody. Uh, I don't think anybody said, I'm not going to, to I mean, first of all, there's the only place to watch a movie in Aspen, <laughs> right, Colorado, yeah. unless you want to drive down Valley. 
Um, but I, I'm sure he feels like it's not affected his business. But it, it's this big, bright sign. I mean, every time you see it, I'm sure people come here that have never been to Aspen yeah. and look up and go, what the <clears throat> fuck is that? I mean, it's right, and it's right next to the fire station. Like, it's just, it's just right in the heart of town, so... It'd be right. ironic if it turns out it's a cover organization and that's the U.S. the U.S. headquarters of ISIS, but that's probably not true. Uh, yeah, but you never know <laughs> what's going on with these guys. You never know. America's gotten interesting. We talked a little on the ride today about, and I, I just I thought about it after we talked because we talked about now for the four people listening, we uh, there was this huge political fight in Austin over mm-hmm. Uber and Lyft or any, any ride sharing company about. Do they consent to fingerprinting their drivers and 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 um, you know? Anyways, it, it became a big fight. Uber and Lyft both invested millions and millions of dollars to try to to win the election, and, and there was a ballot that had one thing on it, mm-hmm. which was, was worded so technically that I can't believe anybody voted for anything. Um, but just hearing you, I mean, you can talk about your your view of that, but just hearing you talk about it, I thought, and this was after the ride, I thought. I wonder if, I mean, maybe Tim wants to be the mayor of Austin at some point. <laughs> no, thanks. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Who knows in my twilight years what, right. I want, what I'd want to do. But, I mean, I certainly care about the city. You I know, it's my that. home. And yeah. it's, um, I have no intention of leaving. Uh, and I do find myself strangely getting involved on very select uh, political issues. Um, we hosted a uh, the announcement for Ride Austin, which is one of the, uh, companies that's coming in oh, so to this is the Limons uh, deal that we, yeah, we talked about. Yeah, so so basically, uh, I, I'm a huge rideshare advocate. I love it. You it's, voted against Prop One. I voted against Prop Interesting. One. Um, and uh, I strangely, uh, the month leading up to it, spent a lot of time just talking to drivers. And the way that Uber and Lyft handled the situation in Austin, they could have easily won the election if they would just mobilize their drivers. But I can tell you that about, you know, from my your own poll, my own poll, about half of them either weren't going to vote or would vote against it as well because um, they want Uber to be a better company. Um, And so, what might come out of this, I don't know. but uh, it's a, I mean, Uber's a cash machine, and it's, it, I respect it madly. Uh, but I also, what's coming in in its way, because Uber and Lyft left the town, what they left was an infrastructure. They left thousands of drivers and tens of thousands of riders. Yeah, and so um, that cost them a lot of money to build up that market, and they just abandoned it. So it's ripe for somebody to come in and pick it up. And Joe Lamont from formerly of Trilogy, right. um, one, he's one of the smart, people that's vying guy. for it. Very smart guy. Very smart. But he wants to run a rideshare company as a nonprofit. So basically taking the margin down to a slim percentage uh, of necessary overhead. But the driving principle is that uh, the drivers will always have a living wage. Right. And that's not necessarily – there's been some experimentation of reducing drivers' wages to find that, like, how will they still have enough of a pool but generate more profit? And I've got no – beef with that necessarily, but I am uh, a strong believer in ensuring that those who work have a living yeah. wage. And yeah, and this one, this is to my point. I mean, you're just, you, you, you're clearly passionate about it. And, and, um, but you know, I, I can see what you're saying and there's the both sides of it. I mean, we are mm-hmm. talking too. I mean, if you're going out to dinner with some friends and pregame and I mean, it's just the smart thing to do. Um, you think they'll be back? I don't think they're coming back. You don't ever. I I don't not until driverless cars. They're coming. Yeah, back they'll come back the, for driverless cars. Yeah. Like that. I mean, this is all just a preamble to the real business, which is um, there's no need for drivers. It becomes like a robotic army. Right. That's you know think which of that what you will. But all the, they're all investing heavily. In. Yeah, that's that's obviously down the road, and I think it's sooner rather than later. Um, so that's the point they would probably come back. Yeah, only to be overtaken by drones. <laughs> How about that? No more traffic. Yeah, I'd I'd like to live just in an Austin with no more traffic. Drone and just, yeah, Austin traffic. <laughs> See, you, now you're sounding like the mayor. Yeah, well, that was it. Was an interesting thing. I think Uber and Lyft they they fought hard and spent a lot of money because they didn't. They knew that that was precedent setting for for every other city around the world, quite frankly. And by I, the way, what, I mean, and I, look, I, I should I should be fully transparent. I'm I'm an investor in Uber. 
I have been for a long time. Uh, I use the service, obviously not in Austin anymore. Um, but I, I look at it too. I'm like, why wouldn't you just get get your driver's finger? Who cares? Mm-hmm. Just fingerprint. Or do the whatever the issue. Just consent to that. Right. I mean, it, it does potentially set a precedent, and it breaks down that barrier between independent contractor and employee. Theoretically, that's the argument. Yeah. Um, on the flip side, I was against uh, what the city council, the standing city council of Austin, did. I, I think it's it's bullshit in terms of the requirement for additional security. I don't. I think that younger drivers that are, are ma- they're making a conscious decision, and they're okay with the level of security that Uber has. And so, I don't think the I don't think the regulations that were imposed upon Uber were right. Right. And then I don't think that the way that they handled it um, was right either. But um, but you're a guy who's now found a solution through a Facebook group that you know That's my favorite. Yeah. Right. yeah. So that's there's no there's no background checks there. I mean you could be getting yeah. I was getting my hair cut from the wrong side of Bakersfield driving you around. Well, um it was the day after Uber left and I was getting my hair cut and I was bemoaning to the um uh, the guy cutting my hair um, about the situation is like, oh, I'm going to invite you right now to Arcade City, and it's nothing more than a Facebook group. Right. Um, but yeah, you just post in where you want to go, and then you pay the driver directly whatever you feel is appropriate. Yeah. And so it it was it filled in the gap when we needed it. Right. So you have you see both sides. I get. I mean, I get it that you see both sides. But then there are people that you know. There's you know, like Anna, my my much better half. I mean, it was a big deal to her. Yeah. To, you know. Uh, uh, a woman in a car, you know, that's, that's stuff that they think about. And there's so, a, there's a new one that's starting up. Um, by the time you get back, guys get back to Austin, it'll be up and running called chariot, which is uh, only women drivers for only women passengers, interesting. which I think is really great. Um, Crazy so, shit can still happen there. What what I love is like, they left this vacuum in a, in a market that was prime for it. I and then like name. America gets back to business and just like, they're going to, we're going to figure something out. It's, we're not all done. Through, all app based, all through an app. Yeah. Just yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Well, uh, I, I want to finish by because um, you need to go. You got to get rested up, and I got to go give this talk at the ride, ride the Rockies. Um, which, by the way, that could be, it could be it could be a little juicy at times. <laughs> opening it up to the five hundred, you know, floor of five hundred cyclists in Colorado. Yeah, that's I mean, a, no, a bold play, my friend. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I love that. Yeah, I love sitting there going. I mean, at this point in my life, mm. fuck. I've heard it all. Yeah. So it's not like anybody's going to say anything. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to sort of answer this, <laughs> but I am going to steal that line. You know, that I might even use it tonight. But uh, no, in wrapping, I want to just, just, just Austin, you got there in 94. I got there in 89. I, I moved in when I, I, I was, I graduated high school in Plano and I mean, I couldn't get out of there quick enough. Mm-hmm. You probably know what that's like. And I loaded up a U-Haul, drove my shit down. And and moved into this. Oddly enough, it's about 300 yards from where we live now. So I, I, I rented this little flat right on this sliver of Shoal Creek between MLK and Enfield. So okay, you, I know, you know exactly where that is. You know, yeah, and it's kind of a dead. You can get out or you can get in, but you can't pull out that way because it runs you into oncoming traffic. So I I lived in this little flat behind a house. <clears throat> um, and in 1989, Austin was. I mean, Whole Foods, you know, well, you remember the original Whole yeah, Foods. Sure. It was the one that the, always flooded. Yeah, where the Goodwill store is now mm-hmm. that still floods. I mean, that was the one and only Whole Foods in the whole fucking world. And I would walk down there. They had the Martin Brothers Cafe. So I'd walk down after a hard ride and, and have lunch and get some groceries, and I'd walk home. But anyways, if I wanted to drive, if I got out on Lamar, and you got to those red lights, you know, you have the series of, you know, between sort of 15th and and the river, you know, a bunch of lights. I mean, you never, you light went green, you went light went red. I mean, you just, there was never my point being there was, there was nobody there. It felt totally yeah. empty. And here we are now you have a city of 2 million people. You have uh, massive growth, mass, massive uh, traffic problems. We're all probably going, where's the fucking drawbridge, mm-hmm. but it, I don't think we can stop that. And we cannot. And um, do you, do you miss, because like, Austin's, I, I think it's super cool now. I mean, it was super cool then. It's super cool now. Like, do you miss? Would you go back? Like, if I had a time machine to go back to old Austin? Yeah, and just and just in, or if you could not change it. I mean, or not not have it grow and not have it be busy and be hip and be 
whatever. I still I still love it. I mean, there's sure I miss certain things that aren't around anymore. I don't like that we have such heavy traffic, but that just means for me personally, I really contract my like where I go. And we I just, live we live in the core. Yeah. Like we literally live downtown. Yeah, I can get downtown yeah. anytime, but if I have to go visit somebody up north, I think real hard about it. Yeah. I don't I never do it during the times where it's heavy traffic. No, you got to you, you got to think like a, a Los Angelian or whatever. I think the the most vulnerable part right now is um is live music. Mm-hmm. Like the Red River Corridor, like the city really needs to do the right thing and um we use this phrase like Austin, it's the live music capital of the world. Right. It's, it's actually it's the self-proclaimed live music sure. capital of the world. Um uh and I would I, I feel like there has to be some city-run initiatives to acknowledge that and maybe earn the right to actually use that phrase and think long-term about it in terms of subsidized housing, ensuring that the iconic music venues don't go away. Well, don't think for a second they won't mow those down. <laughs> I mean, they'll, they'll go Liberty Launch all over those motherfuckers. Yeah. Then, you know, but there are some other ones that are popping up outside the city. Yeah. Um, so so you're talking about Mohawk and, and st- all that stuff along, but that's all going to change with the Waller Creek. You know, I know, once- but it shouldn't. It, Waller Creek would be a much better development if we could still keep it to be a lot. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, so you're saying try to integrate or keep mm-hmm. keep keep some of that around as a Recognize to that it's an asset for our town and then recognize that every time you tear down a Liberty Lunch, you're fucking up the town. Yeah. Uh, and maybe learn from the mistakes that there yeah. something can be historically significant and not be... A uh, hundred years old. Yeah. So. La Zona Rosa, Liberty Lunch. Um, I mean, just, you know, it, when I moved there, I mean, just seeing um, just killer bands in those places mm-hmm. that, that are, there, there were just sheds, right? And, yeah. and and I love live music. So I went in at the time, I was young and single and, and could do stupid shit. And well, I still do stupid shit. But <laughs> I mean, you just go out to these, the, and you look back on that, there, there's, we don't have even even farther out. I mean, you know, remember the old backyard? I mean, how how amazing that was. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but you're right. I mean, they 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 get a lot of mileage out of that tagline, mm-hmm. and I mean, maybe it's being maybe it's being uh, overtaken by "Keep Austin Weird," mm-hmm. which which is another tagline I have some issues with. Yeah, like, of course. Like it's co-opted to mean different things. It should it should really be it should be an acknowledgement of what did happen in Austin in the 1960s and the 1970s. And, you know, your weirdos are going to change, but we should still try to foster that community that respects that, that that's an important part of the heart of our city. Right. Um, those, But on the flip side, I think that that sort of hippie aesthetic attitude that was pervasive in Austin in the 1970s was responsible for the traffic problems we have now. For sure. You know, you have to build infrastructure projects 20, 30 years in advance. And I think they were just blinders on about the growth pattern. I I think at some, yeah, back then they, they had the choice to, to, I mean, because, you know, we, we all know what, how difficult it is. You can't catch up to that. I mean, look Mm -hmm. at what, with Mopac, you know, the adding a lane, adding a toll lane. I mean, by the time they're done with it, you're going to get on that thing and people are going to go, wait a minute, (laughs) I'm still in traffic. I thought this was supposed to be, and, 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 you know, going back 20, 30 years ago, addressing east-west corridors mm-hmm. versus just north-south, we got none of that. Yeah. I mean, I, I play golf a lot. Uh, I love it. And uh, sometimes I play out at the UT Golf Club, and we'll finish. Inevitably, I always finish at five. So I'm coming back into town from Steiner Ranch. And, you know, that's a straight shot. There's nobody. But I, I get on 22-22 at 620, and I start coming down, and, and the cars are lined up. Mm-hmm. All the way down the Tumbleweed Hill, all I mean, pretty soon they're going to be all the way back to 360. These poor people are waiting for a fucking light at 2222 and 620. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I would, I would, I'd go nuts. Yeah, I, I workshop my way that I don't do that. Right. Yeah. But like we said, I mean, we're 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 blessed to live right in right right in the kind of the center of town, and yeah. I mean, the ability to walk places and and you know. And just be free like that is, is, is we're lucky. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, we got to run. I got to go do this thing. You got to get ready for the independence pass. Yeah. <laughs> Starting to storm. Uh, tomorrow's going to be a brutal day. Did you I land think. in Aspen? No, I landed in Denver. Did you, so you drove, did you drive over the pass or you went around? I think we went around. I don't remember going over okay. the pass. You, yeah. you would remember that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's a long pass. Okay. So you'll have, I mean, you'll have three feet of snow at the top mm-hmm. on the sides. Fortunately, um, 
but no, it'll be tomorrow. You'll wake up. It'll be perfectly clear. You, 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 no problem. And Tim, by the way, for now, for the five people that are listening, Tim League uh, struggles a little on the uphills, but the mofo <laughs> can fly downhill. I was, I remember that last year going, you know, when we came down, whatever that long climb is we did last year, I thought, okay, this will be interesting. And I turn around and not only are you right there, you're on your fucking tri bars. I'm like, this, I wouldn't get on my tri bars. By the way, going 45 miles an hour out on those things. I don't know. Not a good idea. Well, there's no brakes out there. Yeah. By the way. Yes, I realize. Yeah. I got like cat-like reflexes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'll okay. pull well, hey, <laughs> I'm impressed. Okay. Well, Tim, thanks for coming on. and Thank and, you uh, very much. And uh, good luck the rest of the way. And we'll see you. I guess we'll see you after the summer. Great. I'm not going back when it's 100 degrees. I, I, I try to work my way around that too. I, I take a lot of very important business yeah, trips Gary, that Gary, are I, I, I've got a, not I, in the heat I, of summer. I have to go on a trip. Sorry. <clears throat> well, it's 105. Anyways. All right. Well, thanks, good luck man. with the podcast. Thank you.